0: This is episode number 222, Eat, Race, Win, with professional chef, Hannah Grant. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help
1: you be better every day. For us, it was very much about the variation and trying to just avoid all the refined foods. Not so much thinking that I was a doctor in the kitchen, but it was the belief that if you make things from scratch and you make food from real ingredients and don't buy canned stuff and canned dressings, but you know what's in things, then you will feel better, you will recover faster, and um, basically you will just perform better.
0: I just want to take a second to say thank you so much for being here, you guys. It means the world to me that you're part of my community and that you are tuning into the podcast. It's super fun to do, and I love, love hearing from you. So thank you to everyone who has left reviews on Apple Podcasts, and thank you to everyone who is sharing the show with their friends on social media. It definitely makes a big difference, and not only to me, but to help other people find the show as well. Quick announcement before we get into it. I am doing a free talk with the Trans Rockies. They're doing a virtual training camp, and I'll be doing mine in December, and it's about self-talk for performance. And in conjunction with the Trans Rockies, if you are signed up to their email list or to mine, which is sonialooney.com slash newsletter... I will be sending out a free mental skills course that I am working on right now and I'm really excited about. So stay tuned for that. I will be announcing that in my newsletter and that is at sonyalooney.com newsletter. I send it out every week. I also include an article that is only available in the newsletter, the podcast of the week and a question for you to ponder. So thanks so much, you guys. It's so fun also interacting with you through my newsletter. Big shout out and thank you to those of you who are supporting my work financially on Patreon and PayPal. And there are donate links in the show notes, or you can go to sonyalooney.com slash podcasts to check it out. And man, it really makes a huge difference. And the reason why this podcast has such great audio quality is because of the money that you're donating. It goes to pay Roma, my audio engineer. So thank you so, so much. Okay, so let's talk about today's awesome guest. I had so much fun talking with Hannah Grant. And you can definitely hear that in the episode. Hannah has had a fascinating life, from joining the Navy in search of discipline to working at the number one ranked restaurant in the world, and then to being a professional cycling chef for the Tour de France and even the Dakar Rally. Hannah has some really interesting stories. She also has an incredible reservoir for handling high pressure environments and unshakable self-belief. While stirring a 200-gallon drum of goop, as she calls it, in the middle of the Arctic Ocean one day in the navy, she had an epiphany. I am going to chef school. And from serving big pots of goop to working in that number 1 restaurant in the world was quite the shift, and it didn't stop there. She's won a daytime Emmy for her Amazon Prime series Eat Race Win, which is a docu-series about cooking for a professional team at the Tour de France, and I highly recommend you guys watch it. It's pretty awesome. And her next endeavor, partnering with Dr. Stacey Sims on a supplement for flights to help you stay hydrated and also supplements for sleep. And it's called EWR. I love Hannah because she is so real and so honest about her life and the challenges that she's gone through along her path of success. And she's also really funny. She's the author of two cookbooks and is offering a 20% off her most recent cookbook, Eat, Race, Win. And you'll be able to find that discount code in my Instagram post about this episode. I always post a video with the guest and I talking with a quote from the guest. And I'll also put this discount code in the show notes, and it'll be in my newsletter this week as well. In this episode, you'll hear all about her experiences in the Navy and becoming a top cycling chef and also working in the number one ranked restaurant in the world You'll learn about some of her tips for managing stress and high pressure. You'll hear how to actually cook for a Tour de France team and all the craziness that comes along with that. We talked about some functional food tips for recovery and the importance of eating real food. I hope you guys enjoy this episode and let's get right into it. Hannah, I'm so stoked to have you on the show. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm very excited to be on. My first question
1: for you is What is your favorite house plant? Oh my God. This, you're like hitting the spot of everything I love so much. <laughs> my favorite my house plant, it's called, it's called Sabrina. Actually, I have one behind me. It's like, so it looks, it grows like long leaves and so on with like stripes. And then it's purple on the back and like pearly white green and dark green striped on the front. I think I've seen one of yeah. those before. Those are cool. Yeah. And they propagate so easily. And that's why I love it even more because you can just cut bits of it and like put it in the back in the dirt and then it grows back again.
0: My favorite houseplant, I honestly don't know what kind it is, but his name is Dave. Like after the octopus from the animated movie Penguins. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And he, he's a little bit testy. He he likes to be moody with his uh, green leaves. <laughs> What's Dave? How does Dave look? Is he um, is he like a cactus kind of thing or? No, he has little little small green leaves. But it's like a really small plant. I'll
1: send you a picture. (laughs) I love it. That's very cool. I should name my plants. I definitely should. Yeah, I need to do that. Good point. I'm going to note that.
0: All right, good. I'm glad I can help. So (laughs) you used to be in the Navy. What
1: was that like? Oh, it was crazy times. I mean, when I joined the Navy, I actually had no idea what I was getting myself into. The plan was like, basically beat some discipline into myself through joining the Navy. Uh-huh. And um, it sort of worked, you know, at least when I finished up my time in the Navy, in the Royal Danish Navy, I had uh, gone through the process of accepting that sometimes you just have to do shit, that, sorry, things that uh-huh. you don't want to do because someone else tells you. And so that was actually the precursor to me being able to finish my four-year chef education Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I sailed around Greenland and Iceland and the Faroe Islands on a huge inspection ship. And we did like fishery inspections. So we would like basically try and chase down big fishing boats and see if they had illegal fishing like cargo on board. Wow. So it was like a water icy version of police chases in the US. And the crazy thing was that the boats would basically, we would start chasing to see if we would board them. And if they knew they had all kinds of stuff on, they couldn't have they would just go full throttle, right? And there's no way you can chase up unlike when you're in a huge Navy boat. So um, yeah, it was quite interesting, definitely.
0: That does sound really like an Learning interesting life. <laughs> Yeah. Were there any other women in the Navy with you? or like I'm sure there were a few, but what was that like to be one of the few women?
1: The boat I was on or the ship I was on, we were 75 people in total and we were three women out of the 75. And I shared a room with one of them. I mean, I think that was the first time for me. It was an interesting experience because it, it is obviously very male dominated. Mostly, I didn't really think about it. But obviously, you know, when you're stuck on a boat with a bunch of guys for four and a half months, uh, then there's no, like, you can't escape realizing that you're a woman and they're not. So it, it becomes a little tense in the end, right? Because you got to like, you got to fend for yourself, um, That's the nature of humans. Right. But that definitely also taught me to be able to make my way through the like restaurant kitchens, because that used to be the same. Right. Very male dominated. Yeah. And then again, in male cycling, very male dominated. So, yeah, it was great. Again, you, you definitely learn how to like say back off and make people understand it.
0: Yeah. And did that give you a certain level of confidence in yourself moving forward? As you mentioned, you went into other male dominated areas and having the experience you had, did it make
1: it easier? Yeah, it absolutely did. I think in the Navy, you, the thing was like, I had to toughen up and be like the guys in order to follow the flow. And definitely, I mean, for sure, had I not joined the Navy, I would never have graduated as a chef. Never, ever, ever. You know, (laughs) the whole like it's it's such a it's a very testosterone pumped world and I you know or it was I'm I'm sure it still is in many ways you know you got to show that you're tough enough to make it now looking back you know maybe you kind of like you definitely step over your own boundaries to go through it so in some ways I would never have ended up where I am today had I not gone through it but Looking back, maybe, you know, I think I was very rough on myself and pushed myself through a lot of things that maybe was not so good. You kind of like, you become a little bit of a female version of a martyr. Does that make sense? You toughen up and try and and get through it because definitely no one's supposed to put a finger on the fact that you can't do it because you're female. So you got to show that this is not the issue, right? If there's a problem, it's not because of my gender. Yeah, so... It definitely taught me things to get through chef school and working as a chef as well. So when I started in cycling, it didn't feel weird. I didn't feel outside because for so many years, I mean, for over a decade, I had worked only amongst guys. So I didn't notice it. You know, I didn't know. I was I didn't feel different until someone pointed it out. they were like, hmm, you're women in this world. Like you're not going to last for a long time. And I'm like, wait, what? not that I doubt that I'm a woman, but you know, I'm like, wait, is is this a problem? Like, is my gender a problem for my cooking skills? You know? So yeah, it's been such a weird thing. It's, I never thought about it so much until someone male pointed it out to me that that was a weird thing.
0: Yeah. I had a similar experience. Like I wasn't in the Navy, but I was always in male dominated fields. Like I did my master's in engineering and I was like one of three women in the whole program. And I just never noticed that there, I mean, I just didn't really notice how much that there was not not another women around and that maybe I'm at a disadvantage because I met a female or being treated differently. And then once that started getting pointed out to me, I don't know if ignorance was bliss with that or not. And and I definitely want to get into the cooking part, but I I think you brought up an interesting point that if you're a woman in a male dominated field, then in order to fit in, you feel pressure to act like one of the guys to like what you said, quote, toughen up. And I know lots of yeah. women in cycling experience this as well. Like, how do you dress? How do you talk? How do you like and it makes it really confusing as to what it means to be a woman or like what it means to be. And, and even now, like, and I think this is good, but like, what does it mean to be masculine? What does it mean to be feminine? And everybody has yeah. both of those qualities. But in these male dominated areas, a feminine quality is viewed as being weak. So yeah, I don't really have any, like for people listening, I don't have advice or anything like that. I, I just, it's just an observation that I've had that it's just like thinking about what you do and, and how are you showing up and how are you, are you trying to make yourself be more like a man and yeah. having these discussions with other women?
1: I, I just think it's a an interesting topic. Yeah. I mean, it, it is very interesting because for me, especially when I worked in the restaurant industry, I was one of the guys, you know, all the, the shit talk in the kitchen. I mean, I could follow along so easily. It's a strange thing because that was sort of like, you know, typically before they got to know you, they would try to see if they could push you out of it and make you nervous or blush. And I sort of like I see everything as a game, right? Or a competition. So I'm like, no, I'm gonna make you blush, right? I'm gonna make (laughs) you feel embarrassed now because you if you start it, I'll definitely win this one. So that became sort of a thing of like being able to be so fast at coming with the quick line back. And so once you hit the, you know, when the boss comes and uh, tries to really say something, nowadays it would be a me too thing and everyone would freak out about it. But back then it was more, you know, if you could fire back and shut them up, they would basically leave you alone, right? So that became the game, you know, defend yourself and if you do it right then they'll leave you alone. They, they know that they can't take you down. But it, it, it's tough because especially when you're a woman, you have a hormonal cycle, you know, you will feel more emotional at days and so on. And so that's the days when it's really, you know, you, you still got to have that face and be like fitting into that world. Even though sometimes maybe you just want to sit and break down and cry in the bathroom because of hormones exploding right (laughs) so um yeah it is it is crazy but things are definitely you know I'm I'm rethinking a lot of these things also my own behavior because of the me too thing because I don't know it's such a fine line with these things but yeah I I definitely acted like the guys for sure you know I was thinking oh my god is it going to be reverse me too because (laughs) I've been asked towards the guys they're like she told me something back (laughs) oh I don't know (laughs) hopefully not
0: so why did you decide to get into cooking? Because Navy to chef school is,
1: it seems like a, a big 180. Yeah, I come from a family of creative people, actors, and restaurant industry people. And so I've always been very interested in, in cooking. And my dad always would bring me in the kitchen. And so I always had this, like, I loved cooking and creating. And so I was very uh, drawn to the whole restaurant industry, even as a child. So when I was a kid, I wanted to start chef school, but because of my grandfather, my mom's father, he was a restaurant manager back in the 50s in Copenhagen, and he drank way too much. And so my mom's opinion on that was, if you venture into that world, you will become a raging alcoholic. So she's like, that's not going to happen. You can't venture into to the restaurant industry. And so when I was 14, 15, and I wanted to actually start the chef school, she's like, not going to happen. So she made me go to high school and I hated it so much. And that's turned out to me dropping out because I'm much more hand off on kind of person. So that was sort of like a weird, slippery slope of trying to do something that I didn't want to do and then dropping out and then getting a job and then trying to pick myself up again after that. And that was the Navy that was picking myself up. And then in the Navy, I actually met a guy who's now a very good friend of mine who had just graduated as a chef. And I was down in the galley with him and I'm like, wait a minute, you know, stirring in the unsexy, like 200 gallons of goop. I'm like, this is what I want to do in my life, right? (laughs) Um, Trying to season things with shovels of salt. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so for some crazy reason in the middle of the uh, Arctic Ocean, I had the epiphany of uh, wait this was actually what I wanted to do. So when I finished the Navy, it was a very clear line. I was just going to go to chef school because that was the plan the entire time. I had just like pushed it out of my mind and it popped back up. So that's the connection for me. Yeah, icy waters and uh, big pots of goop being being seasoned. (laughs) Very sexy start to cooking. (laughs) And you went from stirring big pots of
0: goop to working in the number one restaurant in the world in a really high pressure environment with Michelin stars and everything on the line. What was that like yeah. working in that restaurant and how, how did you deal with pressure? Cause you always see, like, I don't know what it's like in real life, but you see the Netflix documentaries over like these chefs who are like, you know, pinning it and their entire life is
1: on the line. Like what, what was it like for you? Well, I mean, when you decide to become a chef and you make it through the training and the first four years, Then you've basically, you, I want to say almost like a a sect because you give up on family life and friends outside of the restaurant industry and your family becomes the restaurant that you work at. So all of a sudden it's the bubble. And that means you hang out with your friends when you work because these are the only ones you see. And then you just basically live inside that restaurant. Your life is all about getting up early, going to work, doing the long hours, going back home, getting the sleep you can get and then back to work and then not being in the shit. Sorry, pardon my French, but that's the word, right? Making sure that you have prepped and you're ready and everything's on top. And so as you do that days and days and years and years, you know, obviously you are just in constant lack of sleep and so many, like you have these breakdowns between the chefs. It's not so much breaking down crying because Most of these people won't make it to that point of the restaurants, but it's more like um, frustrations and anger and, you know, people attacking each other. So it was was an experience, but it was also, I mean, some of the hardest work I've ever done in my life. And it was also inside a walk-in fridge that I realized that uh, this was not going to be my life for the next 10 or 20 years. Because if I continued down that alley, I would definitely turn into a very, very, very bitter person because there's just so much pressure and everybody is working basically to get the chef to where he wants to be and you can only do that for so long and if you have dreams and hopes of your own you know there's a long way to that point so yeah so at a certain point of uh, walking into a fridge uh, finding the 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 walk-in fridge in a complete disaster after having tidied it up for the 10th time I had my mental breakdown and I thought I cannot do this anymore. I'm done with this. I can't do it. I can't. I can't tidy this fridge up again. Yeah. So that was sort of like my uh, my kick to like, okay, I got to get out of this breakdown in the fridge. <laughs> it sounds like these cold environments are good places
0: of of change for you. The Arctic Ocean, the walk-in fridge.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that's true. Yeah. It must be. You know, you you definitely for me. It's always when I'm I'm when I'm basically pushed out to the max. That's when change happens, right? You're like. You're in the soil. You're like, uh, it can't be worse. And you're like, OK, no, I got to quit and then figure something out. You know, you have nothing to lose when you're down there anyway. Yeah.
0: And then fast forward, you find yourself cooking out of a food truck for the Tour de France and filming an Amazon Prime series documentary. How did that come about? Like, I love all these big pivots in your life because it's, it's, so, <laughs> it's so interesting to connect the dots looking
1: backwards and hearing how people got yeah. to where they are. So how did that come about? Well, I landed the job in cycling by complete chance. It was so random. I thought I was gonna get a job. I wanted to study nutrition at university, even though I dropped out of high school and so on. Because I had the experience as a chef, and because I had done at least the first two years of high school, the U- University of Copenhagen, they agreed to let me get in if I just did a, a math A-level a class and a chemistry B-level. And I thought I can easily do that, no problem. I just need a job on the side where I can do lots of focused work. Thinking about banquets, I thought I was going to do weddings and so on. And I asked my old sous chef from Noma, the restaurant I worked at. And uh, I'm like, I need a job where I can work like a full week in like basically two or three days. And he's like, okay, I'll ask around. And he called me back and he said, there's a cycling team. They need a chef, but it's only for like from January till July. And I thought, that perfect i'll do that then i can you know study at the same time and and so i started and it turned out it was so much work that i got kicked out of my math and my chemistry class yeah and the cycling team actually was supposed to hire another chef was supposed to take over uh, after july after the tour de france which was supposed to be my last race back in 2011 and he bailed so they asked me if i could please continue and i thought "Mm," i got kicked out anyway You know, let's take this as as an adventure and see where it goes, right? And fast forward five years. I I worked five years full-time at the same cycling team. And in that time, I published a cookbook called The Grand Tour Cookbook. And that cookbook was the one that was turned into a TV show by complete, again, another random chance because it landed on the table of a crazy American producer that had the balls to pitch it as a TV show. Without ever having met me, asked me, or known me. So, um, yeah, so I wake up one morning and uh, I check my phone and I have a message in any possible inbox LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, email, you name it. Same message from the same guy, you know, more or less. I'm an American producer. I want to get in (laughs) touch regarding a TV show. And I'm like, someone's pulling a prank, right? Yeah, this doesn't happen. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was just like, was I drunk last night? Like what (laughs) happened? (laughs) And then I'm writing back. I'm like, yeah, this all sounds very interesting, but you got to tell me more. He didn't tell me anything more. So we got on a Skype call and he told me the story. He had gotten a book from one of his friends and he wasn't interested in cookbooks. So he threw it on his kitchen table and his wife picked it up. And she was like, hey, this would make a great TV show. And he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And he has a meeting at Amazon Studios to pitch a few shows And he pitches his ideas that he had worked on for years. And they're like, no, 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 no. And out of desperation, he's just like, but there's this woman who works at a cycling team and so and so on. And God knows what happens. They're like, that's amazing. That's a great idea. You know, if you can make it happen, we'll buy the show from you. And then fast forward, I get the email and I'm like, this is insane. And I thought like anything else in my life, let's try it, you know what's the worst thing that can happen is that it doesn't happen. Right. And so I, um, I ventured into that crazy, crazy ride. And, um, yeah, we started in 16. And I, as I told him, I said, it's going to be a little tricky because the cycling team that I used to work at doesn't exist anymore. So we have to recreate what I used to work in with a new team. And if anyone listening has ever been at a sports team, when, you, when you're at a team, you know each other pretty well. And when you've been at a team for five years, you know the people on the team very well. And it takes a long time to connect with people in that way. So to just pluck and play with a different team, that was a very interesting experience. Yeah. But that was the show. We did that e Race win on Amazon Prime. Yes. Filmed it in 17 and uh, at the Tour de France, and it was released uh, in 18. And won an Emmy, so we did something quite remarkable with that show. I'm pretty amazed when I look at it.
0: <laughs> That's awesome! congratulations! And it really Thank sounds you. like your curiosity and your willingness to try new things has taken you so many interesting places in life. And man, like it's scary to just try new things and and say, "Well, what's the worst that could happen?" Because I think fear of failure or fear of the unknown of taking a new path is what holds people back. And because you are doing all these things, like your life has just taken this amazing route and you've learned all these great things. You've won an Emmy.
1: Like, <laughs> that's pretty amazing. For a, a high school dropout and a chef graduate, <laughs> yes, that was definitely not not in the books. I don't think anyone had imagined that. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy times. And, and um, I think, I mean, I just keep on doing those things because actually, so when I got back from the Tour de France, when we filmed in 17, I uh, <laughs> I divorced a month later, which was also a crazy crash, right? Trying to do the post-production after that show and all that stuff. And you just, you know, your life is turned upside down craziness, trying to get things put together. And then all of a sudden, you know, when you divorce, you know, you split your income or your income is half. And, you know, I was sitting in an apartment, I had to pay all the bills myself. And I was actually... I was in the shit in so many ways and people were like, you have this show, you have these two books, it's going so well. And I'm just like, you know, in the most miserable time in my life, and I'm like, what the freak is happening here? And, you know, again, I don't know what happens. Some crazy little spark inside my brain goes, how about you launch a new company <laughs> with, you know, hydration products with your business partner, Dr. Stacey Sims. And I'm like, so when the show launched in 18 and my book Eat race Win also launched when I was still struggling and so broken, it was so weird because to the outside, it looked like things were going well. And I was just really scrambling. Again, I thought, okay, all the attention that's coming from the show coming out and the book coming out, let's see if I can like lift that to something else. So yeah, that was again, another one. So that's what I'm working on now, which is uh, ERW, the abbreviation of Eat, Race, Win. That's mm-hmm. my company with Dr. Stacy Sims, and we are launching like hydration brand for everyday use and for athletes. Yeah, sleep products here in uh, November. It's going to be very exciting.
0: Yeah, awesome. So that's the next crazy step.
1: Yeah, <laughs>
0: the amazing life story. I love it. <laughs> so let's talk about. I know people are dying to hear about like what it's like to work at the Tour de France and work for a team and like everything involved with like the dietary limitations of all the different riders and teaching people how to eat healthy. Like, okay, so I'm getting carried away because I'm excited. So I guess (laughs) let's, let's start with how do you plan the food for the Tour de France team? Is it a daily meal plan that you do? or Is it per week? And then how do you like accommodate the caloric needs and, and nutritional needs of the riders?
1: So this was sort of like a puzzle to kind of like figure out how to do that. Because the first Tour de France, or actually the first Giro that I did, which was the first Grand Tour, I had planned a whole month of meals every day, everything, you know, read up on the stages and everything was completely put into stone what I was going to do. And then I I came down and I realized that all the plans I made, I could just basically bin them because I couldn't get any of the ingredients that I had planned for so i had to kind of like rethink my planning which was more in terms of what are the macros you know that we need to do so we go with we need carbs we need protein we need fat we need both slow release carbs uh, fast release and then some low carb options so all of a sudden i broke it down to a puzzle of like what do we need and then when i got to the area what can i get and so That was the super duper exciting thing for me as a chef because that meant that wherever I traveled around in Europe, it became kind of like a candy land of ingredients for a chef because, you know, then you hit an area where they're known for the most amazing chickens and red onions and like special little pepper fruits. And then it was just plug and play of saying, okay, what ingredients can I get? And then how can I fit it into my plug and play? And so my plug and play in for dinner time was typically the option of two types of protein. So chicken would be the protein that everybody could agree on, because I would have eight or nine riders, and they would all be from different parts of the world, have different likings, you know, different dietary preferences. And so it was was impossible to just serve one dish and make everybody happy, right? I also figured that out. So the chicken was sort of like the animal that everybody could agree on. This is like, okay, we can all eat that. I'm like, okay, safe zone, perfect. So I would always do a chicken dish and then I would do an alternative. So like fish or lamb or a vegetarian dish, something egg or something like that. So that if they felt more adventurous, they could go into the other version of the protein. Or if they felt you know, conservative food-wise, they could go to the well-knowns with the chicken and so on. Then I would roast up different types of veggies I mean, basically do like hot and cold servings of veg. And then, of course, depending on stages and how far into the, the grand tours we were, we'd have to tone up and down the, the different types of... I mean, towards the end of a grand tour, you there's no need for raw veggies. You know, the diet, it's super hard to digest. No one wants to eat it. It has to be more comforting. Yeah. So like the plug and play of that. And then, of course, two types, sometimes three types of like starchy carbs, always pasta because we typically had italian riders on and they are born and bred on pasta and <laughs> if they don't get it they cannot they can seriously not survive i am um, you know but always gluten free options so polenta quinoa potatoes like i made such an effort to make the gluten free options a lot more appealing than just the pasta because we wanted to try and go away from all the the gluten like uh, gluten starches Because we saw a lot of the riders above the age of 25, their metabolism changing, you know, all of a sudden, packing on a little belly weight that they couldn't shed. And it was not so much about the calories, it was more about how they basically reacted to the types of foods that they ate. So we would try, basically, I would try and make it more interesting to choose the non pasta version. And luckily, on a lot of the races, I basically didn't have to do the pasta because everyone just loved all the other things because it was so tasty and interesting and and had a good variation because that was definitely the key and then yes the caloric needs oh my lord i mean let's put it this way nine bike riders they will eat the equivalents of like about 25 30 people right they eat so much food that you cannot believe it so as a chef you realize it very fast the first time you serve something you're like where did it all go like you know your portion sizes are completely distorted when you've worked for a cycling team right you have you know you're just used to doing like so much of course you know at all these races you'd have the race books so you'd know how long the stages were how hard they were hilly climby stages and so on so of course you knew if they had done the altues twice you better like it was a serious portion of risotto to like fit that hole right and if it was a time trial if you know 15 kilometer time trial you know they would just they would take it easy so and then of course what's the stage the day after also taken into mind so yeah it was sort of like a puzzle like that but the plug and play thing worked very well and then the riders were also encouraged to obviously i mean it's an education as an athlete in your own system and in your own engine you know how much do you need because it's not one size fits all. Everybody has different metabolisms. Everybody has different foods that they ride better on. And there's also a cultural thing. So what works best for you? And I I think it's something also a lot, what what did you grow up with? What are you used to? Like Northern European people, they love oatmeal, like anything grain like that. Southern European riders are much more like white rice, white pasta, lots of olive oils and so on. So you have this like Mediterranean feel and then this much more like hearty like root vegetable type thing for the northern Europeans because one thing is of course what they need physically physiologically to, to ride but there's also there's the whole mental part of you know if you don't nurture the mind with the food as well and if you don't have this experience that you're getting something that you know comforts you and makes you feel great if you've had a shitty day or you know There's this thing where food can also pick you up that way and recover your mind as well as your body. So those are the two things I was trying to like put together into a bundle of tasty stuff and then still making it flexible for everybody to get what they wanted. Sometimes, you know, I hit it spot on and sometimes I missed, you know, they they were sometimes so tired, they were almost crying at the table, right? I'm like, oh God. But, you know, you learn as a chef that, you know, your own Coming from a Michelin-style restaurant, you know, you want to show that you can do some cool shit, right? You want to show that you are a good chef, but you also quickly learn that there's a time and a place for everything, you know? They're not impressed with your techniques when they've done 500K in the rain, you know? They just want food, right? <laughs> but on the rest day, then they want something. So, you know, you got to eat some of these things because as a chef, it's so much about also the guest's experience, But when your guest has been on the bike for eight hours, there's not a lot of energy left to like show appreciation, right? The appreciation is in the empty plates. So, yeah.
0: Wow. And what about nutritional planning for making sure that they're going to recover well? Because people are always reading like, what are the best anti-inflammatory foods? Or like, if I get injured, what can I eat so that I can recover quicker? Was that part of your plug and play?
1: Yeah, we we definitely worked a lot with like functional foods and looking at what ingredients cause more inflammation, what caught like what helps remove it or I mean basically throw it down or like minimize it. And so yes, we really did incorporate that a lot. The team was very supportive of that, and I had I had some really really good support over the years from different nutritionists that we worked with, and especially Dr. Mm-hmm. Stacy Sims was the bomb for like clearing out what was all the myths, right? Because a lot of writers, they had a lot of things that they had been told or read in books or magazines, what would work for them at certain points. And it's difficult to stand in front of like a super celebrity pro writer that is determined that a certain thing will cure his sore legs where, you know, it's sort of like pseudo signs and it's probably not going to help. So it, it helped a lot to have the support of Dr. Stacey Sims to say, this is bullshit. This works, right? Go with this, go with that. And this is what you tell them. And, um, but we did work with it. Yes. So lots of like ginger and garlic things. We, we did ginger juice. It was crazy. I would juice fresh ginger in like gallons basically. And, uh, so in the, in the early season, when it was super cold and the Giro, we had a Giro, it was snowing. One of the stages got canceled. It was a horrendous Giro. It was so cold. Oh, my God. And the riders were freezing and getting cold, and it was awful. And a Polish rider, Rafa Majka, asked for um, a bidong with ginger juice in it. If anyone has ever tried drinking pure ginger juice, <laughs> it is intense. It is like the little ginger shots you can get at juice bars are typically diluted with apple juice, right? He wanted it like straight up. So in one race, the race director drove with, up to him and handed him the Beaton bottle with the ginger juice in it. And he would like take a big sip of it and it basically just burns inside your body, right? But like it's, you know, you definitely get a warming sensation. And I think for him, it was two things there's the one thing is of course it will definitely like beat bacteria that's in your system when you drink it like Uh. that but also there's a um, you know it's the willpower the mental power you know the mind can move move mountains right so for him that was sort of like the the juice that made it for him to like mentally say it's the spinach from Popeye right now Mm. I can do it and one thing I've learned is don't ever underestimate that in, in pro sports because if you believe in something that works, a lot of the times it definitely does something to the willpower of being able to do something. Yeah.
0: So what are some of uh, these functional foods? Because I'm sure people listening are like, well, maybe I can start eating some of these. Like I don't know if people want to drink straight ginger juice, but you you, <laughs> you mentioned ginger, garlic. Can you give a couple examples and say why they're yeah. useful?
1: Yeah. So of course, as you mentioned, like the anti-inflammatory agents in ginger is amazing because when you are as an athlete, when you're training, racing, working your muscles and your system all the time, you're, you're basically just like in your joints, you know, you, you tend to, you put a lot of pressure on them for a long time and you don't always get the time to recover very fast. And if you don't do anything you can to kind of like get any like minor inflammations down, this can go really, really wrong in the end. So yeah, so basically incorporating all these things into the foods, as well as like, blueberries, any type of like dark greens, lots of veggies. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just beetroots. We were really big on beetroots at that time, because of the um, oxygen uptake. It was a sort of like a fun story, because they found out that if you were drinking beetroot juice, scientific research had said that you could actually then get a bigger oxygen uptake. They did find out that there was not inorganic beets because they weren't fed with like nitrate, which is what was giving this uh, effect. It was sort of like weird because we were going very much with the the organic stuff. So, you know, you you go through all these things as well, but definitely beets uh, has many other upsides to it. I mean, I think... For us, it was very much about the variation and trying to just avoid all the refined foods. Not so much thinking that I was a doctor in the kitchen, but it was the belief that if you make things from scratch and you make food from real ingredients and don't buy canned stuff and canned dressings, but you know what's in things, then you will feel better, you will recover faster, and um, basically you will just perform better. Yeah, so I mean, it wasn't like there was a schedule for like, this much of these ingredients, but just a variation of wholesome, natural ingredients and making everything from scratch. That was the key to it, because if it becomes too complex in terms of like schematics, one thing is what they get at the race. But if they don't do it at home, it's sort of like, you know, it, it, it needs to be something that's doable or, or possible to do for the entire time, basically. So eating varied and, and incorporating more veggies and you know just having a healthy varied diet and avoiding all these like quick fixes which a lot of the riders w- would do because when you live alone in Italy and so on the instant risotto cup something or a baguette or something is just the easiest fastest thing but it's just not the best thing for you right so um so we would really try and encourage them to choose the the, the better things also off um yeah tough task but uh the ones that were married definitely did uh, a lot better because they got help from uh, the family at home to like shop the things and so on. But um, yeah, I think they were good at um, trying to incorporate the different things.
0: Yeah. And we don't need to go into the logistics of what it was like, because I think I want people to watch the docuseries because I think it was really interesting, uh, like European roads, getting even to the hotel entrance, like people should watch that. But (laughs) I'd love to hear about some of the mishaps that have happened over the years. Like, you ran out of food or the food wasn't ready on time or like, do, do you have any fun stories to share like about that?
1: Oh my God. That, I was stuck in like, so when you leave the hotel in the morning, you got to leave at a certain time before they close the roads through the race path. So if you don't make it through that, like before they close the road, that means that you have to do a detour. And one time in Italy, We didn't make it out in time because we had some issues uh, packing up and things and the truck was, uh, I can't remember if it had problems starting or something, but we left the hotel really late and they had closed the road so we couldn't pass over a little ridge going through a mountain ridge, which meant that we had to go around it. It was the longest detour of my entire life. We did about 750 kilometers longer than we were supposed to. I sat in the car the entire day and we were supposed to shop on the way from one hotel to another. Um, and it was such a, you know, I was through the entire emotional spectrum through on that drive laughing because it was like, oh my God, this is so fun. And then like realizing shit, the guys are going to get to the hotel before we get to the hotel. What are we going to do? And then like yelling and screaming at my colleague for like freaking out and then breaking down, crying. And like, I was like, what is going on um, So, yeah, so we had a little cooling box with chickens in and this horrible, horrible detour. At a certain point, I'm like, okay, we got to try and cross the path. And we were in a team car and it was plastered in stickers from the team. And we're like, we roll up to this Italian officer and we're like, hey, we're part of the race. And he's like, ah, okay. And he lets us in. And we drive in and we're like, oh, thank God. Oh my God, there's arrows to the, the finish oh thank god man okay it's gonna be fine and for a split second you know we're just about to go into a roundabout and one bike comes by and and my colleague like slams the brakes and we're like seconds from like basically driving into the peloton coming past it was awful like Oh my God. You know, so we had to sit and wait and it was, we had gone through the highway, so we couldn't get back. So we had to wait for the entire race to pass all the race cars, all the, you know, like it's kilometers. And for the last, 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 last vehicle before we could continue. And it was a mountain road and we're like, okay, at least we know (laughs) that if we follow this and you know, you go on the pace of the riders up a mountain hill, right? Oh my God. Yeah. So we, we continued and then we hit the hotel after the riders had arrived. Luckily when the riders arrived to the hotel, they have about two hours where they get massages, but I was, oh my God, so much in deep, 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 deep deep trouble. Right. That's probably one of the fastest meals I've ever done in my life. Wow. But uh, we made it happen. It was, um, yeah, it was crazy like we almost took down the entire peloton i would have been famous for like (gasps) breaking the legs of like the best riders on the planet oh my god yeah i don't think anyone noticed us thankfully it was my colleague christopher who's a body therapist yeah he was my own my other witness oh my god (laughs) shit yeah
0: (laughs) so how do you manage stress because you've done lots of high pressure things like what you were doing in the Tour de France and working with all these athletes and just that one story. I mean, I'm sure there's dozens of other stories where things didn't go to plan. Like, how do you manage stress and all these moving pieces and overwhelm?
1: You find your your good friends at the team, and then you uh, allow yourself to break down in the middle of it sometimes <laughs> inside your hotel room. I mean, you are on the road for a month and um, not sleeping. It's <laughs> You're not sleeping, you know, you get up as the first one and I go to bed as the last one and then you drive kilometers and you, you know, you gotta, it's logistics, it's managing people, it's cooking, it's being creative. It's, there's, there's so many things you have to do and it's at a certain point, you can't take it anymore. And it happens to everyone on a Grand Tour. At a certain point, you just break down whether it's the mechanic that just has like a a conniption fit on the ground and like starts screaming and yelling or, you know, (laughs) everybody just breaks down at a certain point. But then the more, so I did 16 grand tours. So five years in a row, I did the three grand tours every year as the only staff member on my team that did all of those. And um, it was, it's a learning experience, right? Because then you learn like our uh, boss, Bjarne Ries, would always say, remember, don't go full throttle from the beginning. It's not a sprint, right? And that's for everybody in the race. Because if you're full throttle the first five days of the race, the last 22 days are the longest 22 days of your life. <laughs> so, you know, definitely you learn to live in a completely different pace. And I became the champion of afternoon naps, because I would need to sleep half an hour to an hour in the afternoon if I could get away with it in order to not just have a complete breakdown. Because, yeah, it's just chaos, chaos, chaos. And I, I can tell you I've definitely reached Paris at the end of the Tour de France on several occasions just having a breakdown in the hotel foyer because, you know, you just can't deal with it anymore. But people take it, you know, lightly. And you have your friend, you know, you have your, the team members that you really bond with they understand right so they they pick your pieces up they help you pick you up right and you help them when they break down so yeah it doesn't show that much i think in the show in that way but yeah it's brutal but it's also amazing it's the weird thing right it's everything you love it and you hate it it is like family i think um yeah (laughs) crazy times (laughs) You you can't escape it that's for sure once you get on the train it's just going right and you got it. You got to get You can only get off at the end.
0: Yeah. Thanks for sharing th- that honest account of what it's actually like, because, well, like you said, back whenever your books came out and you're getting divorced and all this stuff, it's like it. everything always looks very glamorous on the outside, especially when people yeah. are successful. And many people don't share what it's actually like behind closed doors and that, yeah, sometimes you break down and it's
1: normal to feel all those things it's interesting. I just, I had a phone call from my apprentice that uh, I worked with at the cycling team and he was down at the Giro here during COVID-19. And, um, he gave me an update and, you know, when it's been a while since I was down there. And second, he told me about the, the, you know, the hotel manager with his uh, COVID-19 face mask that he just blew his nose in you know at the hotel and then with his fingers picking a piece of meat from uh, one of the (gasps) plates that came out from the buffet which was pork and then he asked him is this this chicken is a little tough isn't it oh my gosh (laughs) and I was like oh that's right that's how it's like right it is (laughs) yeah it's and then there's another aspect to it is you're the only chef in that universe and no one on the team understands what it takes to put a meal together. So they're like, can you not just be ready in three seconds? And you're like, no. You know, <laughs> the timing of things. So it's definitely uh, not very glamorous and it's not luxury hotels. But wow, it's there's a lot of stories you can tell afterwards. That's there's for a lo- sure. There's a lot of life in those years. For sure, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, you know, I would never, never, never not have done it I mean I'm so happy that that's a part of my life it's become such a big part of my DNA now you know so I'm in yeah in in so many ways as hard and brutal as it has been as amazing and fantastic has it been and the experiences and the network and the things that it has brought along so yeah I love it (laughs)
0: well I I feel like we could talk for like hours about all of this stuff and I'm sad that we have to end it but where can people find more about you because it
1: sounds like you have a lot on the go so they can go to my website hannahgrant.com and they can find some recipes and my books are on sale uh, there I also have made a discount code for your listeners
0: all right Looney
1: podcast they get 20% off eat race win and they can go to Instagram on Daily Stews and follow everything I do. I'm launching a membership group where we're going to do meal plans and more in-depth recipes and uh, a whole food universe for athletes and active people. And uh, yeah, we're, we're opening up a waiting list for that. So um,
0: cool. you should
1: check that out as well. Yeah, it's going to be cool.
0: Amazing. Well, that will be in the show notes, everyone. So make sure you go there. Thank you. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Hannah as much as I did. I really enjoyed listening to it again after our conversation. And I love Hannah's way with words. She's awesome. Make sure you check out the Eat, Race, Win documentary on Amazon Prime. Go to Hannah's website, check out her Instagram, and also pick up her cookbook, Eat, Race, Win, and also the Grand Tour Cookbook. Thanks so much for being here. And I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. See you next week.